Well, welcome back, and I'm glad to be back. And um, I want to share uh, a prayer this morning as we begin. We're recording this on Wednesday, and as we're doing this, there is another hurricane that is spinning up in the Gulf of Mexico, and it's heading toward the Gulf Coast and the Texas-Louisiana coastal regions. And we don't know what that's going to bring. We know what the forecasts are. Uh, devastation is really the forecast that I heard this morning for that. And those people have gone through that already this year. So as we begin, I want to just have a word of prayer very quickly, not just for them, but also for our services today and those who will be hearing this. So let's pray together. Father, we're uh, reminded today with something as easy as a weather forecast. We're reminded of how life can get out of hand for us and get out of our control. And as, as we confront that today, we want to pray for those people who are facing that hurricane. I mean, in Mexico have already uh, endured it. And we just pray that you would help them to find you in the midst of that. And we ask for safety and protection and those things that always come with these prayers. But more than that, we pray that they would find you in the midst of that and that you would speak to them in a real way. And as we come to this text today, as we come to... Our, our worship service today and this sermon especially, we ask you to teach us and help us to understand something about the way your story is told through Scripture. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned there, we are continuing in our study of God's story, the story that is the bigger story of Scripture. And one of the things that we often I think kind of fall victim to is we get so focused on the individual elements of the Bible that sometimes we fail to look at the big picture and the story of salvation that the Bible is for us. And so we're looking at that as we go into this series and now we're several steps into it. We talked about creation and the goodness of that, how God created and he said that's good and that's the beginning point. But when we look around us in this day and our society and what's going on, uh, we might be tempted to say, eh, it doesn't look so good anymore. Uh, just think, for instance, that, you know, we talk about a natural disaster, like we're looking at with that hurricane potentially. But we can look our, around our country and we find that there's all kinds of uh, strife and people that are squaring off against one another and idea systems that cause us uh, to treat one another in ways that are less than ideal. Uh, we can look at what's happening not just in an, an election cycle, but just in the cycle that we're in as it relates to how we see each other. It's easy for us to look at that and go, eh, maybe eh, that's just a mess. And so with that in mind, I want to go to a passage of Scripture today that I think really helps us understand a critical element of God's creation and his good story, the salvation story that we have. So let's pause for a moment and understand that we're called into the mix with people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we're called to take the good news to them. And we do that with a heart that is centered in the goodness of God and the love of God and the majesty of God and all of those things that come to bear on our daily lives. But when we step out into the lives of other people who don't know that love of God, and all they really see is what's around them, sooner or later, someone's going to ask you and me and us uh, the question, 
So how could a supposedly loving God allow all of that kind of mess? Well, there's a good answer for that. And we're, we've already looked at Genesis 1 and 2 and looked at the goodness of God's creation. Uh, and, and so their question, if we want to pull it in, is really uh, how did we get from that, the good, to where we are today? What's going on with that? And here's a, here's a good truth I want us to hold on. I'll try to repeat it several times today. And that is that sin's corruption permeates God's creation. Sin's corruption permeates God's creation. And so we pick up the story in Genesis. We've looked at Genesis 1 and 2, the creation accounts. We know that God says that's good. But when we come to Genesis 3 through Genesis 11... Uh, what we find is essentially that introduction of sin now begins to erode the goodness of God's creation, or at least the way it looks. And so with that in mind, we're going to be in Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 today, but I really want you to kind of think of Genesis 3 through 11. Because by the time we get to Genesis 12, it's almost as if God is saying, yeah, that's a real mess down there. Let me show you what I mean. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, uh, is still not quite to Genesis 11. It gets worse after this. But Genesis 6, 5 through 7 reads this way. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. What an incredible change from Genesis 1 and 2 where God looks at it and he says, that is incredible, to Genesis 6 where God says, that's a mess. What do we do with that? And as we seek to connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, we know the goodness of what God did in creation. We know the goodness of God in his character. But all they know without our testimony to them is looking around going, that is a messed up thing. And they're going to say to us in one way or another, how could your God, a good God, allow that? We have a couple of questions that we are thought provokers, if you will, that we want to leave you with here for a few moments. We'll come back and we're going to begin to unpack this corruption of sin in our next segment. But uh, consider these questions as we go into that time. We'll be back in just a few moments. So if I was to put a title on this segment, I would call this segment Going Down. We're picking up from the goodness of God's creation, telling this story, the biblical story of salvation history that has four major movements. The first one is creation, and we've underscored the goodness of God in that and the goodness of his creation. Uh, But we move now to this second movement of that story, and it's uh, called corruption. And that's why I say we're going down, because what God had created in Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis, Genesis 3 through 11 now just seems to be falling apart, if you will, and falling away to be sure. Uh, So creation gives way to corruption. 
So let's define that term and begin to use it a little bit and see how the biblical writer uses it for us here. Corruption, if you go to look at a dictionary, you'll find that it says a departure from the original or from what is pure and correct. A departure from the original or from what is pure and corrupt. Uh, clearly, in Genesis 3 through 11, that's the picture that we get. What God designed and how he put it all together, now with the entry of sin, uh, becomes corrupted. Think, if you will, about a corrupted file on a disk or maybe on your hard drive of your computer. And if it's a corrupted file, you just can't use it anymore. It's lost what its intent was in the first place. And we see this corruption and this fall uh, on multiple levels. And we could use one big umbrella to put it all under, and that is that the fall, the sin, and the corruption that is introduced in Genesis 3 uh, begins to affect all relationships. It affects our relationships on a husband and wife level. It affects our relationships uh, with our siblings and between nations and anything having to do with people in any relationship there. Sin is always a threat to that being all that God wanted it to be. Uh, but it also fits in our, our relationship with nature. Uh, the hurricane that we started talking about, the fires in California, uh, earthquakes, and we could just go on and on about drought, for instance, like we are uh, experiencing a little bit here. I, I, a drought in the desert is, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that, but that's part of what they say is going on. So our relationship with God's creation is affected by sin also. Uh, and if we were to go over into the New Testament, Book of Romans and some other places, we would find that, uh, that when Christ comes, he redeems all of that. But I get ahead of myself there. That's probably one of the sermons we'll look at in the near future. But when we come to understand this relationship and what sin does in corrupting that, the primary relationship that is corrupted is that between man and our creator. And so we're going to look at that here in Genesis chapter 3. And I invite you to get a Bible and go there with me. Uh, and remember that big idea, that statement that I said we would repeat and I want you to hang on to is that sin's corruption permeates God's creation. And so in Genesis 3, we have this record and that statement that I just made, we might pull it down to this in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve made a bad choice. And that bad choice was more than just a piece of fruit. The bad choice that they made that now affects all of us, and by the way, it's the bad choice that we tend to make, and that is that they chose to circumvent God's plan. God gave them clear directives, and they violated those. And in doing so, corruption, sin, entered into the created order. So let's read together. Let me, before I read Genesis 3, uh, let, me, let me just throw in a New Testament passage that really matters here. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, one of my life verses, so you've heard me quote it more than once, but the beginning part of that, normally I focus on the back end of it. And Jesus comes that we may have life and have it abundantly. But the first part of that verse says the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that is a summarization of everything that we find in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve give in to a plan that circumvents God's plan and sin enters the condition. So let's read this in John, excuse me, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, 
Here's what we read in verses 7 through 10. Actually, I need to read verses 1 through 6, so let's start there. And now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. That's a critical moment in God's creation. All that he had done was the way it needed to be. It was the way he put it together. And he gives Adam and Eve a choice to make, and they make the choice to circumvent his plan. Let me say that a different way, and let's put it on us instead of them. Because we have the same problem that they had and that they're exhibiting here. And that is that we fall victim to that part of ourselves, that part of human nature that says, you know what, I think I'll be God. I think I will decide what's most important. I think I'll be the one who will call the shots in my life. And so that's what they did there. And in those six verses that we just read, God's good ordered creation now has introduced into it sin and corruption. And so that corruption now stretches into all relationships. Notice in verses 7 through 10 how it affects the relationship between Adam and Eve And God, verse 7 of Genesis 3. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And now there is this rift, this separation of relationship and a break in the fellowship between God and his creation, man. Sin corrupts. And in this particular case, that begins to permeate into the relationships of creation. And so God and man have that break. But we also find that there's a break between man and man. We pick up reading in verse 11 here. And, and God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Let me just stop for a minute and say, men, do not try to use that in your family relationships. It didn't work for Adam. It won't work for you. Adam made a choice, just like Eve did. Verse 13, And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so now this corruption begins to get into human relationships with other people. It helps to explain why we see what we see around us. But it goes further than that. Now there's a separation, a corruption of man's relationship with nature. You'd remember that God had given Adam and Eve by extension 
uh, charge of the garden and to make sure that everything, you know, he, he was just given at that point of God's greatest creation of all creation, uh, given some, some roles in that. And so in verse 17, we pick up this story and it says this, and to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. And I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for your dust and to dust you shall return. Sins, corruption permeates God's creation. And we leave this off now in this segment to realize that in one fell swoop, in one set of choices, God's creation is corrupted. It's not the final chapter, and we're great, grateful for that, but it is a serious chapter. We have a couple of more questions for you to consider and reflect on, discuss maybe if you're with some people, uh, that kind of ties all of this together. In just a few moments, we'll come back for the final segment. So in this final segment today, I, I want to come to some application of what we've just read. And of course, we could spend months in the application part of this. We all live the application part of this every day, whether we're aware of it or not. But in this story that God is laying out for us, and especially in that last little piece of our previous segment, we find that there is this thing that God builds into the system, into the story, uh, that is consequence. If you happen to be a parent out there with children who are still at home, or if you happen to be someone who's a little codependent in some of your relationships, um, or if you happen to be one who's like me, and that is a little stubborn in the way we live our lives, we should really get a handle on this. Because that corruption, sin's corruption, that permeates God's creation brings with it consequence. And God is okay with that. As a matter of fact, he's more than just okay with that. He bakes it into the system, if you will. We saw that with the way he responded to Adam and that break in his relationship with nature. He did the same thing with Eve and, and that cursed part of it that we find in chapter 3. But uh, consequence is very much a part of God's design in creation. Uh, and he infuses his creation with that. So when corruption comes and we invite it into our lives, we know that there is a consequence to that. And that's a, that's a point of struggle for us. Um, and this is a kind of a continuing theme through my ministry and people that I've counseled with in a variety of different ways that uh, sometimes we, we don't want to make our loved ones pay a consequence. That's the parenting part of it often. Uh, but more than that, we don't want ourselves to have to deal with consequence, especially of our own sin. I like to say it this way, that we, we often treat God and life uh, as if it's an unconditional warranty. In other words, that no matter what happens, no matter what I do, then I can always get a redo on that and, and not have to pay any price for that. Uh, let me just take as a point of reference now, I'm not sure if this is the way it still is at Starbucks. I think that it is. Uh, but one of their great movements in customer service at Starbucks was 
where they would say that if your drink is not the way you want it, you just bring it back and we will replace it free of charge and get you what you wanted. And uh, I had a son who worked at Starbucks for a long time and he used to talk about that, how many people would come back because it wasn't exactly the way they wanted it. Well, that was Starbucks way of saying, we're gonna give you what you want, the customer's always right. And so if we don't get it right, even if you ordered it the way you didn't want it, we'll come back, we'll fix it. That unconditional warranty kind of thing, we'll make it right with you. Walmart used to do that as well. In one place where Teresa and I live, their Walmart uh, would, no questions asked. If you wanted to bring an item back, uh, you could bring it back. And so people would take, buy clothes and go wear them for something and then take them back and get their money back for that. Uh, that unconditional warranty that says you get it the way you want it no matter what else is going on. And when it comes to our lives, that's kind of what we want. We want to be able to live the way we want to live. We want to make our choices. They may be marked by selfishness. By the way, sin is in, in essence that selfishness that says I'll be in control. It's about me. It's always about me. And so we want to live that way and we want to hold on to that just like Adam and Eve did. But when we do that, we don't want the consequences that come with that. The consequence for Adam and Eve was, among other things, you can't live here anymore. You can't be in this garden that I created for you, for your enjoyment, for your fulfillment. You can't be here anymore because now the corruption of sin has permeated that part of your life. And we're just like them. And so we don't like the consequence of sin. And we often kind of want to get our money back on that sometimes with God. You know, hey, you know, you're treating me in a way that... I don't like, or how come you're not? Now, this is really the way we normally say it. Why are you not keeping me from the pain of this situation in my life? Well, sometimes it's because of consequence. Sometimes God says, you're going to have to suffer the consequence of that choice. And then our response is, well, how could you do that? And so we begin to ask questions like, how could bad things happen to good people? You want to good biblical theological truth? There are no good people. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the consequence of sin is so permeated God's creation now that we carry it with us. And the place we see that the most is this separation from God that requires some kind of correction. And that's where we're going to be next time. Uh, we'll talk about God's uh, correction. That's act three in this story. But before we get to that, we need to own the corruption part. We need to own the consequence part that my sin and my choice, just like yours, that choice that says, I'll be God. I will decide what I'm going to do. I know scripture says this, but I don't care what it says. I'm going to do what I want to do. That always carries consequence. And it hits us at the point of relationships. So I don't want you to miss the value of consequence because God doesn't just do that because he's a cosmic divine killjoy of some kind. God builds consequence into, the, into his creation system because it's a teaching mechanism. It's a drawing mechanism that pulls us back to him. So when we or we hear somebody else say, well, how could God do that? How could God allow that? Part of the answer to that is always that he's trying to get our attention and bring us back to what his design is. 
I'll say it a different way. When we choose to live in our rebellion and in sin's corruption, it just keeps us separated from the love of God. It's not that God can't overcome that. He's just going to give us the choice about whether we accept his love and his restoration and his salvation and those things, as we'll see next time. So when you find yourself uh, fighting battles and you wonder what's going on, when you find yourself living in the consequence of choices that you've made, let consequence do its job and let it drive you to the heart of God. We tried to do that with our kids, Teresa and I did, and in and, and the discipline that we had with them when they would violate some rule of the house or when they would behave in such a way that was not acceptable and they knew that. Uh, we let consequence do its work. And it was hard. It, it was, sometimes it was really hard to let consequence happen. But we knew that it would draw them back and grab their attention, or at least that was our prayer for them. The really, reality is sometimes uh, we just don't really buy into it enough. And so we just we kind of whine and complain about things that are going wrong. Let consequence do its work. Let it drive you to the heart of God. Let it drive you back to the story. Because at the front end of the story, we find the heart of God. He creates and he says, that is exactly what I'm talking about. But by the time we get to the end of Genesis 11 and this, this escalation of the consequence of sin, God looks at him and essentially he says, that's a mess. You go read between where we are in Genesis 3 and Genesis 11, you'll find that you have the story of the flood in there. You'll find you have the story of the Tower of Babel in there. And you'll find through all of that that it just gets worse and worse. Such is the nature of sin and the corruption of sin. So don't let it run its full course. Let that consequence drive you to the heart of God. You may be watching this today and your life is full of consequence and you know it. And maybe today for the first time, you begin to put the pieces together to go, well, you know, maybe it is me. Maybe it is my choice that is causing me this trouble in my life. Let it drive you to the heart of God in Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. for God loved the world so much. This is a world that he created that sin corrupted. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not die but have everlasting life. Do you have that life? Do you want that life? Are you tired of living in the consequence of your own sin? We'll get next time to the correction that we find in Jesus Christ. Actually, we'll start in Genesis 12 where God begins the correction process of this story. But I want to I leave you there for a couple of weeks, so let me just say it again. Jesus Christ is the only cure, the only fix, the only way to overcome sin's corruption and the permeation of that even into your life. So if you don't know him as your savior, you need to. And we're going to put some information up on the screen here so that you can contact us. But before you even do that, you, know, you don't have to have magic words or anything like that. You just go to the presence of God in prayer and you say, I, I'm tired of living my own life. I'm tired of trying to be in control. I'm tired of the consequence and I need Jesus Christ and I trust him. If you'll do that, he'll meet you there. And we would love to know that so that we could help you grow 
in your ongoing life with Jesus Christ. And so contact us if you would. All of those things come to bear, I think, in this last statement again. Sin's corruption permeates God's creation. So let the consequence of your sin be a trigger that drives you to the grace of God. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.